And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can't win friends with salad. Check out their three locations in the Edmonton area. That would be the original in Leduc, Alberta. Then you have Spruce Grove, and of course, the newest location is in West Edmonton Mall. But if you are not in the local area, well, don't fret. You can go to their website. That is wilhawkbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. And they will ship it to you, any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. A busy episode this week, so let's get right to the news and notes. First, a look at the CHL's top 10 coming into this week. The top 10s usually come out on Tuesdays, so there's been... A few games here and there since then, but the top 10 this week has the Portland Winterhawks of the Western Hockey League sitting in the number one spot, followed by the Halifax Mooseheads out of the queue and the London Knights from the OHL in three. Then we've got the Saginaw Spirit of the OHL. A couple of three dub teams following, Moose Jaw, Saskatoon, and Prince George. The Run Naranda Huskies are ranked number eight, and the Sioux Greyhounds and the North Bay Battalion round out the top 10. The team with the best record in the queue right now are the Valdor Forer, who, as I'm speaking with you right now on Friday morning, they are 5-1-1. One, one. Drummondville, who has played one more game, is actually in first place because they have an extra point. And they laid an absolute licking on the Moncton Wildcats yesterday or earlier this week, 11-1. to one. Ethan Goche named the first star in that game with a goal and three assists. Elsewhere in the queue, Bay Como has 14 points. They've played one more game than Halifax. The Mooseheads are just that one win behind, though. So a pretty good race atop the Eastern Conference. Interesting that Drummondville with that 11-1 victory, it's not like Moncton is struggling this year. They're in third place in their conference. So that's a really good team who absolutely got humiliated and at home on top of that. Top scorers in the queue right now, it's still Tommy Cormier sitting on top. With 13 points, he of the Victoriaville Tigers. Moncton Wildcats, Johan Loshing has 12 points. Then a trio of players, Michael Horth from Charlottetown, Maxime Corso from Ramuski, and Luke Woodworth of Drummondville, all with 11 points. Meanwhile, in the Ontario Hockey League, and we'll, we'll talk more about the OHL with our first guest this week, but the uh, Sioux Greyhounds putting on a show this year. They are 5-1 and one out of the gate, 833 winning percentage. But the big number that jumps out, 37 goals for in those six games. That is more than six goals per game. 
Best team so far in the Eastern Conference would be the Mississauga Steelheads, who are 4-1. and one. Not nearly as offensively proficient. They've only scored 19 goals, but they've only allowed 8, and that's the huge difference there. Now, keep in mind that the OHL has played two or three games fewer than uh, their WHL and Quebec Major Junior Hockey League counterparts, as they started a week later. Uh, Jack Beck is on top of the scoring race in the OHL. He has 12 points. Liam Greentree from uh, Windsor is next with 10. He's tied with Owen Allard of the Sioux Greyhounds with 10 points. He's a teammate of Jack Beck's. And the next two scorers are also Greyhounds, Jordan Dentino and Artu Karki, both with 9 the Prince George Cougars still sitting on top of the standings in the Western Conference of the WHL. They have 14 points, a record of 7-2, and two, 51 goals for in those nine games. Now Portland is next, and they are, remember they're the number one ranked team in the CHL. They've only played five games, so Prince George has played nine. Portland's only played four, or five rather. There are some teams, Tri-City, Seattle, Vancouver, who have barely played this year. Tri-City and Vancouver have four games. Seattle's only played three games so far this season. Meanwhile, you got Prince George. Edmonton has played nine games. So a real uh, wonky schedule there for some teams. Top club right now in the WHL's Eastern Conference. That would be the Lethbridge Hurricanes, who have played eight games and have 11 points. Hot on their heels, the Moose Jaw Warriors and Saskatoon Blades, both with 10 points. Best winning percentage, though, goes to Saskatoon. They've played one fewer game than both of those teams. Saskatoon was here midweek against the Oil Kings, a 7 nothing blowout uh, by the Blades. They looked really good that night. They were my preseason prediction as the top team in the WHL's Eastern Conference, and uh, they look at right now, and they've there's been some trades in the Western Hockey League as well this week as teams are getting down to their 20-year-olds. Lethbridge traded Hayden Smith to Everett for an 8th rounder. Prince Albert traded Seth Tansom to Brandon for a 4th round pick. The Edmonton Oil Kings picked up Rowan Woodward, not a 20-year-old, and we haven't seen him play yet, maybe this weekend, as the Oil Kings play a Red Deer on Sunday and then again on Tuesday, both games in Edmonton. Uh, but Saskatoon adding Easton Armstrong from Wenatchee and a defenseman Graydon Seepman uh, from the Calgary Hitmen. That trade with the Calgary, they get a really good defenseman who was a former first-round pick himself. They didn't have to give up a first-rounder to get him. Two seconds and Fraser Leonard, as well as a sixth-round pick. That's pretty good asset management, I think, by Saskatoon, not to have to include a first. And I I don't know off the top of my head, maybe they don't have their first for next year. I'm not sure. One of those 20-year-olds who was moved out was uh, Jacob Hoffragi from here in Edmonton. He goes to Prince Albert for a sixth-round pick. A lot of teams just had to simply release players, put them on waivers. At least the Oil Kings were able to get something for Hoffragi. And he's a good player, really good kid as well. So a sixth-round pick uh, coming Edmonton's way in 2025. As for the top scorers in the WHL, it's been dominated this season by the Prince George Cougars and still is. Zach Funk and Andre Becker of the Cougars have 19 points each. Rookie Tarek Parasik has 18. Then it drops down. Carlin Dezandi has 13, also with Prince George, and he's tied with Ryland Rorsma of the Brandon Wheat Kings. They both have uh, 13 points. And Just a quick look to see if anybody else has... 13 as well, coming into the weekend's play. No, Riley Height is next, also from Prince George. He has 12. So does Jagger Furcus from Moose Jaw with 12 points too. Let's check in on the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, the standings. When last we saw it was the Blackfolds Bulldogs on top. They're still there, but now they've been caught by the Brooks Bandits, and Brooks actually has a game in hand. So the very familiar sight of seeing first place next to Brooks 
is uh, back Sherwood Park is tied with Black Falls with Drumheller and the Calgary Canucks. It's actually a five-way tie points-wise. All five of those teams have 16 points. Brooks has played nine games. Blackfalls and Shura Park, 10. And the Dragons and Canucks have played 11. So by winning percentage, it's Brooks. My voice sounds a little funny. I, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm coming down with something. Anyway, as we uh, check the leading scorers in the uh, AJHL, Brendan Ross continues to lead the way with 17 points. His teammate in Blackfalls is Dakota McIntosh. He has 16. Julian Gervais of the Calgary Canucks has 16 points as well as does Easton Adrian from the Drum Heller Dragons. The Surrey Eagles are still unbeaten. They are 6-0 to begin the season in the British Columbia Hockey League. The Bulldogs of Alberni Valley and the Victoria Grizzlies are trying to track them down. They are tied for second and third in the Coastal Division. Meanwhile, on the other side, Penticton leads the interior with uh, 10 points. They are 4-1-1-1. And it's a logjam behind them, the Vernon Vipers, Salmon Arm Silverbacks, West Kelowna Warriors, and Merritt Centennials, all with eight points, just a win behind. And all of those teams have a game in hand on Penticton. So it's a tight race right now in the BCHL. Flyers prospect Ryan McPherson has been caught and passed in the league's scoring race. He has nine points, but Aaron Schwartz from the Surrey Eagles is now leading the pack. He has 12 points. Shifting gears to the USHL, the best winning percentage in the league still belongs to the Fargo Force as they are a perfect 4-0, but they've only played four games. It's the least amount of games played in the league. Sioux Falls is 4-0-1, so they actually have one point more and sit atop the Western Conference. Meanwhile, in the East, the Dubuque Fighting Saints have the most points in the league, but they've played six games. They are followed closely by the Madison Capitals. It's actually pretty close at the top end. The Omaha Lancers have begun the season 0-4. They're the only team without a point so far. The Chicago Steel, though, limping out the gate with a 1-5 record, just two points. Top scorer in the USHL is a Swedish import Eric Paulson. Plays for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. He's got 12 points. A couple of members of the NTDP U18 squad, James Hagens and Cole Iserman, both draft eligible this year, have 11 and 10 points respectively, and uh, Matt Vagrindet. From Muskegon has 10. So does Trevor Connolly uh, from the Tri-City Storm has 10 points. That's your top five scores in the USHL. Jumping over to the North American Hockey League. Your division leaders in the Central, it's the Austin Bruins. Meanwhile, in the East, the usual suspects, the Maryland Black Bears, followed closely by the Northeast Generals. Over in the Midwest, it's the Janesville Jets sitting on top right now. A log jam behind them, just two points back. With games in hand are Chippewa, Wisconsin, Anchorage, and the Minnesota Wilderness. And in the south, the Lone Star Brahmas are in the mix at the uh, top right now, but El Paso have three games in hand and just trail by one point Oklahoma right there with El Paso. Shreveport and New Mexico close behind as well. So tight races in the North American Hockey League. Top scores for the most part this year have been uh, Europeans and Canadians. We'll get a update here as I pull it up. Yeah, Canadian Matteo DiCipio from Rochester leading the league. Actually, he's tied with Sixton Inertio, the Swede who plays for the Northeast Generals. They both have 19 points. And American Maxwell Martin is next. He has 18 points, plays for Wisconsin. Well, I shouldn't forget Hayden Cruz also with 18 points. He of the Janesville Jets. Hayden is from Minnesota. So a couple of Americans starting to catch the leaders there. Big weekend in the NCAA as everybody gets going except for the Ivies. 
Some games on Thursday night, Western Michigan defeating Ferris State 6-4, Maine over top of RPI 4-1, and Air Force taking it to Michigan State 6-5. I guess maybe taking it uh, is a bit of an overstatement, but it was like 5-1 at one point, so Michigan State, the Spartans coming close to uh, completing the comeback, but not to be. Very early in the Division One schedule, but uh, two or three games in, the, the top scorer in the nation would be Massimo Rizzo. Plays for Denver has seven points through two games. Luke Rowe from Air Force and Jack Devine, also from Denver, are next with six apiece. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, the tap room in Red Deer, where you can place your orders online and pick up from the tap room. Or you can also pick up those online orders in Calgary at the Farmer's Market, Edmonton at the Farmer's Market, or you can go to your local liquor store in Alberta, and if they don't have the Troubled Monk that you want, you can ask them to bring it in for you. Go to troubledmonk.com shop and see what the Monk has available right now, as it changes frequently. For instance, you know the Troubled Tea, it's original hard iced tea. Well, right now you can get a Troubled Cranberry hard iced tea which I haven't tried. So if you like lemon iced tea, great. If you like something different, let's try the cranberry hard iced tea. And of course, with a new WHL season underway, you can never go wrong with a delicious Rebels Red. That's at troubledmonk.com. Four guests for you this week, and here is the order that we will hear from them. We'll begin with an update from the Ontario Hockey League. Brandon Caputo from the Dog Pound Podcast will be our guest to update us on what he's seen in the early OHL season. From there, we've got back-to-back NCAA conference previews, the last two conferences that we haven't got to yet. It's the ECAC. Joshua Sagan from College Hockey News will be our tour guide. And from there, it'll be Atlantic Hockey with Anthony Travaglia, also from College Hockey News. And we will close things out this week with a conversation with Stacey Meyer, the Director of Education Services for the Western Hockey League. It's a really cool endeavor that involves the WHL, the OHL, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the American Hockey League, the East Coast Hockey League, the new Professional Women's Hockey League, and the USHL for something called the Respect Hockey Culture Center. What is it? Stacy's going to tell you all about it, but it's something that's been long overdue, and I'm really happy that it's in place. It's basically to help players or coaches or anybody else that's involved with junior or minor pro hockey whether they're struggling and they need some mental health support or if they want to report instances of player-on-player abuse or coach abuse or discrimination, anything. they can, People can do that now anonymously. It goes to a third party. It'll be investigated. It's a great initiative, and we're going to hear uh, the WHL's perspective on why it was important, and that's why Stacy Meyer is going to join us to wrap up this week's episode. Hey, Pro Stock Hockey has several new pairs straight from the Saddle Dome available now. Black and white options, in addition to the traditional Calgary Flames standard colors. That's at ProStockHockey.com. You can follow them on Twitter at ProStockHockey. They are your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment, whether it's gloves or sticks. Everything else, you can get it all at ProStockHockey.com. But let's get to the show. We're going to go to the Ontario Hockey League. Brandon Caputo from the Dog Pound Podcast. He is up first. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Matt Potra from the Guelph Storm. Potra dangles and scores! Matt Potra! Wow! Spectacular spin move out of the corner and pots it. And this is the Pipeline Show.
Trevor is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Will Hawk beef jerky. Go Will Hawk! Go Will Hawk! Everybody came! Will Hawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc's Bruce Grove and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Want to go, pretty boy? It's the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we are going to head out to the Ontario Hockey League next and uh, kind of get an update on what's been happening in that league. It was the last of the three CHL leagues to get going, which personally I think was smart because it gave uh, teams another extra week to get their guys back from NHL camps. So remember that first weekend in the WHL, there were some lopsided outcomes and uh, teams that were really playing understaffed uh, because of guys that were still away at camp. So uh, the OHL did it right, in my opinion, uh, and they are up and running now. Most teams have played five, four, five, six games, and some have only played three. Uh, to bring us up to speed, Brandon Caputo is my guest. Uh, Brandon, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are things for you and the Dogs Pound podcast and everything else that you're a part of? Because I know you're doing tons this year. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me back on, Guy. Um, look forward to talking to you every year about the OHL. Um, our Dog Pound podcast is an official podcast of the Niagara Ice Dogs. Uh, I'm also uh, a team reporter, so I travel basically to all of the team's road games as well and cover them there. I've also got some OHL content up and going, so OHL overtime. I interview different teams uh, throughout the season as well, players, coaches, uh, management, uh, broadcasters, and, and all that. So covering the OHL and the Ice Dogs this year, uh, all that is available on the Armchair GM Sports Network. Excellent. Well, that's great that you can uh, talk about the the league as a whole. Uh, we're going to start, though, in your backyard with the Niagara Ice Dogs and uh, off to an 0-3-1 start, uh, which doesn't look great. And I know it's been a, cu- a tough couple of years in Niagara, both on and off the ice. Was this to be expected, or you're kind of giving me a heads up that it might not be as bad as the record looks? No, definitely not. It's, it's a night and day difference from what the team was playing last year. Uh, now under head coach Ryan Kuwabara talked about having a full month of training camp to really implement the system that he wanted to bring. Uh, brought in some some great players in the offseason that the, were, were culture fits. Daniel Sobolev, an overage import, Montreal Canadiens draft pick, Gavin Bryant from the Owen Sound Attack, uh, just to name a few. Ryan Humphrey, who won an OHL championship with the Hamilton Bulldogs, played with the London Knights last year and has been a thorn in Niagara's side. Now he's uh, joining the Ice Dogs. So they brought in a lot of guys with high character and people that want to be here in Niagara uh, with this team. They lost uh, a couple of hard-fought games against the London Knights, who are, uh, were obviously ranked number one in the CHL going into this week. Uh, lost one nothing to the Mississauga Steelheads. Uh, actually, well, 2 nothing if you count the, the empty netter. And then they hard-fought battle to get one point against the Barry Colts, coming back from a three-goal deficit in the third period in Barry on Saturday night to, to get their first point of the season. But a lot of their rookies have looked good. Ryan Robrick, the second overall pick, uh, scored his first goal in Barry, and the other rookies, Ethan Zada, Artem Frolov, and Ivan Galianov, have all been playing as 16-year-olds. So Niagara's got some a mixture of some older veterans that have a high character, and they've got these high-end skilled rookies. Uh, and obviously, Kevin He going into his draft year, he's the, the guy to look at for uh, Niagara in the 2024 NHL draft. Brandon, in your opinion, is this a year where Niagara could actually get back into the playoff picture and and be competitive this season? So. That, you know, we're only four games into the year and lots can change for sure. 
it might be a bit of uh, an adjustment period, though, as this new-look team kind of comes together? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's definitely a possibility. They have to make up 25 points from last season to be able to be a playoff team. I think that, again, from what we've seen for the first two weeks, the effort, the compete level, and the buy-in to what they need to do to win. Top players like Zach Lavoie, Wright Humphrey blocking shots, that's a good sign. And you, you can just tell that this team is a lot different than the team that was assembled last season uh, under G- general manager Wes Consorti. And it, it's, it, I think it's, it's a possibility that this team competes for a playoff spot. But again, the fact that they're competitive and in these games right to the end is, is encouraging. It would just be nice to see them start picking up some points and some wins, stringing them together. But again, I think if they just build up the standings this year, and, and again, you only need to get two spots in the Ontario Hockey League to get into that eighth spot in the playoffs. So if they could sneak into that eighth spot, I think it would be a best-case scenario. Who's the team to beat in the Central Division? Right now, it's looking like the Mississauga Steelheads. Uh, Ryerson Leanders, again, has just been dominant uh, as a goaltender for them. His goalie stats this year have been incredible. He's, he's four four and uh Four and zero for them with a 967 goals against and a 1.00 goals against average. Uh, he's been named the goaltender of the week the first two weeks in the Ontario Hockey League. So right now it looks like the Mississauga Steelheads, but don't count out the, the Sudbury Wolves. They were in the uh, preseason media poll, the team to beat in the Eastern Conference, and they've also got a very good roster. North Bay Battalion coming off an Eastern Conference final run last year. They might have to recoup some draft picks, but they still got some high-end talent, including their goaltender, Dom DiVincentis, who's a Winnipeg Jets draft pick, who uh, could be an interesting trade piece if they decide to kind of recoup from last year. I might be out to date here on this. Uh, did the Sudbury Wolves get Quentin Musty back from San Jose? I know they signed them, uh, the Sharks that did, but I don't know if they returned him or not. Yep, so the... Uh, and I actually have it for you here. The only player from the OHL that is still away at a NHL camp would be Matt Poitra ah. from the Guelph Storm is still up with the Boston Bruins. Easton Cowan uh, was just returned today from the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, to the London Knights. Colby Barlow was returned from the Winnipeg Jets to the Owen Sound Attack. And most recently, as you mentioned, Quentin Musty has returned to the Sudbury Wolves from the San Jose Sharks. All right, perfect. Thank you for that, uh, bringing us all up to speed. Um, all right, let's go to the uh, the East Division, still in the Eastern Conference. I know last year, from wire to wire in the regular season, it was the Ottawa 67s. Didn't really help them in the playoffs as they, they didn't get as far as they would have liked. But do they take a big step back this year, in your opinion, or are they still the team to beat? I don't think so. I think as long as Dave Cameron is their head coach, the Ottawa 67s, are always going to be a competitive team within the OHL, and especially in that division. They, they've they really been the benchmark team in not only that division, but really the Eastern Conference every single year, uh, even before uh, COVID hit. They've just been near the top of the standings in the Eastern Conference every single year. Um, it was a little bit disappointing for them last year, the way that their playoffs ended. But um, that Ottawa 67s team, I think, is, is the team you got to look at. Although you can't count out the OHL champion Peterborough Peets, although they are going to have to recoup some draft picks at some point. They've already moved uh, their goaltender who won uh, the Wayne, uh, the 99 trophy for the MVP of the playoffs last year in Michael Simpson. They've already moved him to London. So uh, we'll, juries to be remains to be seen on what the Peterborough Peets are going to do moving forward. But I would never count out the Ottawa 67s. And I'd also not, you know, the Brantford Bulldogs just moving to, to Brantford. We'll kind of see they're off to a slow start right now, but they've got some high-end talent that really should be able to turn it around, and it's kind of disappointing that they're off to a 1-3 start right now. I know four games in the Oshawa Generals. I don't believe Callum Ritchie has uh, suited up yet this season for them. Uh, what's the update there? Do you know? Uh, not really an update, although he is over right now for them uh, with an injury. So 
remains to be seen when he's going to be back for the Oshawa Generals. But without him, they've been able to you know tread water at that two and two spot. But uh, without getting Callum Ritchie back, it'd be pretty hard for me to to say that the Oshawa Generals could contend in that division and in, in the Eastern Conference this year without the uh, um, Colorado Avalanche draft pick. I was looking on the OHL's website. I couldn't see sort of uh, an update for injury status for players. I don't know what the situation is for Richie. I know he was hurt for a lot of last season, but played through it. Did he have some sort of off-season surgery or or, or something, or did he get hurt at the Avalanche camp? I'm not even sure if he participated with Colorado or not. Yeah, I think he just had a step back, so I, I don't know if he's projected to come back as of now. Mm. But um, again, I, I think he is projected to play this season for the Oshawa Generals, and, and they they surely could use him, obviously, the first-round pick of the Colorado Avalanche. So uh, sooner rather than later, they'd like to have him back in yeah. the lineup. Understood. All right, let's go to the uh, Western Conference. And uh, you mentioned the London Knights off their great start, but it's the Sioux Greyhounds who are ripping things up right now. Five and one out of the gate. 37 goals for in just six games. They're averaging over, that's math, six game, uh, six goals per game. Uh, that's a really impressive pace to start early on. Now, is this just a case of a team beating up on some uh, weaker teams or, uh, thanks to the scheduling, or is this a legit case of a juggernaut here in the West Division? Well, I think the Sioux Greyhounds are the real deal. I mean, they, they beat the London Knights in a shootout uh, last week when the London Knights were ranked number one in all the CHL. So, again, they're giving up a lot of goals, but... They're scoring a lot of goals. So you, you look at the Sioux Greyhounds and, and the amount of players that they have in the top 10 in scoring in, in the OHL right now. They've got the top four players yeah. and then uh, Travis Hayes in, in eighth place. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible to, to see Jack Beck, who they acquired from the Ottawa 67s, is off to a, a, you know, a, a tear with 12 points in the six games for them. And uh, Owen Allard and Jordan Diantino uh, was the recently named the OHL player of the week. So they are on fire with the goals for right now for the uh, Sioux Greyhounds, but I don't expect that pace to keep up all season long. Uh, do they have uh, defensive issues or goaltending issues? They're, they are giving up 23 goals, as you said. They're outscoring their uh, their defensive or goaltending issues if there are issues. Yeah, I think defense and goaltending could be looked at as an issue right now, but again, they're such a run-and-gun team that they're going to put themselves in that spot just based off of off of their offensive capabilities, and, and that's kind of the way that they like to, to go about uh, both their offensive structure. I think their coaching staff would like to obviously see those goals for go down and don't want to completely you know dismantle their defense uh, through four games, or through six games for them, rather. But it doesn't look great on the defensive side of things. But again, offensively, I don't think you could ask for a better start. But maybe that team defense as they go throughout the season, and uh, they're going to have to start winning some 2-1 games. That might be something that they look at can't help but notice that at the other end of the spectrum would be the Flint Firebirds. They've given up 26 goals. They've only played three games. That's that's a, a, a big issue there if you're looking to win contests and you got you have to score like seven or eight goals just to, uh, to pull out a victory. Uh, that's not a recipe for success. What's gone wrong there for the Firebirds? Well, they relieved their head coach, Ted Dent, of his head coaching duties. So um, he was somebody that had taken them to the Western Conference Final just a few years ago against the Windsor Spitfires and went to Game 7 of the Western Conference Final. Uh, Ted Dent now out as head coach of the Flint Firebirds, and they've just been giving up way too many goals against, and it has not been good uh, in all aspects for the Flint Firebirds through those three games. Again, 26 goals against in three games is not... You're not going to like where you're at at the end of the season. That's historically bad uh, goals against uh, numbers for the Flint Firebirds. So I think this team you know, could, 
contend maybe for a playoff spot in the West, but they've definitely got to get it turned around quick, and they're going to have a new head coach now just three games into the season. We're speaking on Tuesday. To, tomorrow night, Wednesday, they're they're on the road against the Memorial Cup hosting Saginaw Spirit. We should go with the Spirit next and what you're expecting from them this year because usually, um, it's probably guaranteed, there's going to be a lot of tinkering with that roster before January 10th. Oh, absolutely. And, and the Saginaw Spirit, obviously, like you mentioned, being the Memorial Cup hosts, they're going to be going forward in all aspects. Uh, they've made a few moves already, but you would expect General Manager Dave Drinkle to continue to make moves to make that team very competitive. Although they're not a team that might sneak into the Memorial Cup, they are projected as one of the top two or three teams in the Western Conference this year uh, with the way that their uh, roster is structured and with the uh, exceptional status player from last year, Michael Misa, taking that next step. He's you know just going to continue to help that team grow and, and continue to to build them into not only a Memorial Cup host, but also a Western Conference favorite and an OHL championship favorite because going into the season, they were on the OHL media pool as a team to beat with London in the Western Conference. Well, let's go to that Western Conference uh, other team, uh, the London Knights, uh, sitting on top of the Midwest division right now, but it's close. Everybody seems to be off to a good start in that division, except for Erie. Uh, But London, Guelph, Owen Sound, Kitchener, they're all playing above five hundred. Is London the the pick of the litter, in your opinion? Yeah, firstly, uh, Erie just acquired goaltender Ben uh, Ben Goudreau, former San Jose Sharks draft pick, to help out with their goaltending because they've been very disappointed with the way that their goaltending has been, and, and they should be better than that right now. But going on to the London Knights, they just get Easton Cowan back from the Toronto Maple Leafs, their first-round selection. But other than that, they've got eight other NHL-drafted players. We all know how great uh, of, of a job Dale and Mark Hunter do with the London Knights year in and year out always a, a very competitive team actually I saw the Knights a lot already uh, they had the, started off the season with a home and home against the Niagara Ice Dogs so got to see this London team up close and personal already this season and they look as advertised maybe the goals for uh, from the, some of their top players aren't there to begin with but uh, a really good addition to their lineup has been Casper Halton and the San Jose Sharks second round pick. He was uh, coming in as an import for London and he's been their trigger man on the power play so far. He is definitely uh, going to be a scary player to watch in the Ontario Hockey League this year, but they've got other players like Denver Barkey and Oliver Bach who just came back from Philadelphia Flyers camp. Uh, I mentioned Easton Cowan and you've also on the defensive side of things, uh, Sam Dickinson, who uh, by all accounts is going to be a top 10 pick in next year's NHL draft in 2024. Uh, just a, a, a very solid defenseman that runs their quarterbacks, their power play, and uh, is just a lethal force. And then, as I, I mentioned earlier, acquired uh, the OHL championship winning goaltender Michael Simpson, who's actually from the London area, beat the London Knights in the final last year, and now he gets traded back to his hometown team. Uh, nice. That's a good story. For him, for sure, maybe bad bad story for everybody else in the league. Is there a team we haven't uh, spoken about yet that you think maybe is going under the radar right now, but when it's all said and done, could be problematic for the top teams? Uh, well, if you look at the CHL top ten poll, the, the North Bay Battalion are ranked. We haven't really talked about them a whole lot, but again, I, I would I would probably bet that they're going to have to make some moves at some point to recoup some draft picks because they've gone for it the last two years. And Dom DiVincenzis, their goaltender, is one of the best goaltenders in all the Ontario Hockey League, and he could really get them, uh, get another team over the top, I think, in, in that sense. But if we're looking at any other teams, I really think the Guelph Storm are going to be a solid team, but not being able to get Matt Poitra back yeah. as he's up with the Boston Bruins, that could be a big loss for them uh, if they don't get him back after the nine games uh, stint is over with the Boston Bruins. So that's a team I would look at, the Guelph Storm, depending on, 
if they do get get Poitras back to look at as a contender to take down either London or Saginaw in that Western Conference. Great stuff, Brandon. What do you guys have coming up uh, with, with the uh, Dog Pound podcast or anything else that you're working on right now? Uh, Dog Pound podcast, we actually just released a our interview with Kevin He. We had a whole episode uh, with him on there. Again, a 2024 NHL uh, projected drafted player for uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs. Uh, tied Akil Thomas's 16-year-old rookie record for goals last year. So there's a lot of high expectations on Kevin He. That episode is live on our YouTube channel right now by searching the Armchair GM Sports Network. And I'm, as, we're, as we speak, I'm working on our Barry Colts episode, uh, speaking of Marty Williamson and a couple of their players about the upcoming season. And last week's episode with the London Knights, where I spoke to uh, Sam Dickinson, Oliver Bonk, and Denver Barkey is also up on our YouTube channel right now as well, and on demand and audio. Tons of content. Uh, Brandon, thank you for uh, sliding the Pipeline Show into your heavy uh, schedule. I appreciate it. And this has been terrific. I'll call you again. Absolutely, Guy. Look forward to it every single time you call, sir. There is Brandon Caputo from the Dog Pound podcast, covering the entire Ontario Hockey League, but uh, with a special focus on the Niagara Ice Dogs. Asked me to tell uh, Edmonton Oilers fans that he's actually got a big interview in the hopper with uh, Bo Aiki, recently signed by the uh, Oilers. Second round pick, I, I believe he was in this past NHL draft defenseman with the Barry Colts. So keep your eyes out for that if you're an Oilers fan. Up next here on the Pipeline Show, we're going to complete our NCAA conference previews with uh, back-to-back segments. First up, Josh Sagan from College Hockey News is going to be our guide for the ECAC conference, which includes the defending champions, uh, the national champions from Quinnipiac. And then we'll hear from Anthony Travaglia, also from College Hockey News. We're going to be looking at the Atlantic Hockey Conference with him. So get ready for your NCAA College Hockey Fix. That's next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And the Finns will start a lead pass by Farinacci. In a low Farinacci scores! John Farinacci catches the Finns on a change, and the United States retakes the lead. Hey, it's John Farinacci from the Dexter Southfield School, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. They used to tell me, boy, you ain't going nowhere. Race through the crowded stadium with sweat pouring a glass of crisp cold beer refreshes my webpage, but the computer crashes into another car who instinctively grabs the release on my chute and hits the bedside alarm. Apparently, it's time to wake up. Ignite imagination. Advertising on the Pipeline Show works. Who listens to the Pipeline Show? People like you. Share the story of your business with targeted customers. Contact Guy directly at Guy at thepipelineshow.com. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. It's The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. This week we're going to wrap up our uh, NCAA conference previews. We've done uh, four of the six conferences so far. We've got uh, ECAC and Atlantic Hockey to get to. And in this segment we are going to talk about ECAC, which can it contains the defending national champions. Uh, so this is a, a conference that's maybe getting a lot more notoriety than the casual hockey fan might uh, respect uh, and uh, to help us go through the ECAC is Joshua Sagan. Uh, Josh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Hey, not too bad. Uh, yeah, been a nice, uh, warm uh, 
fall here in the in the northeast but yeah you know it's it's starting to feel like fall all of a sudden well and that's good timing since hockey is here now and for for most clubs i mean you got the ivy leagues that uh, the ivy schools that don't start playing uh, for what another three weeks four weeks yeah absolutely but a lot of them are start scrimmaging already too so so the rules have kind of gotten a little bit uh less stringent on them so so it's good i know dartmouth had a scrimmage this week against uh umass and yeah, a couple others have games, I think, one against Guelph this week. And, yeah, the Canadian University scrimmages uh, this week for some of those Ivies. So they, they get started. All right. Well, we've got a 12-team conference to talk about, uh, so let's get to it. Uh, and I guess we should maybe start with the defending champs in Quinnipiac. Are they the the favorites going into this season again, or do they take a bit of a step back? Yeah, I would think that they would. Uh, they didn't lose much. You know, they lost a, key, a bunch of key experience uh, players. Mainly like a Zach Metz, uh, um, their goaltender uh, Yanni Peretz. Um, but you know, as you learn in this uh, covering college hockey in a, a long time, usually teams that you know replace a uh, good goaltender pretty quick. Um, they still got their system in place, and uh, you know they still got a they still got a pretty uh, talented uh, forward group actually that that will probably lead their way uh, this season. Um, and you know Jacob Quillen, who had a fantastic uh, Frozen Four last year. Uh, Sam Lipkin, which has who has a lot of you know NHL scouts because he's a big, tall kid, uh, big kid, and then um, Colin Graff, who who scored 59 points last year, mm-hmm. who's probably a Hobie candidate, but uh, uh, it will be interesting to see because Graff got injured over the weekend against Boston College, so be interested to see if if he's good or and uh, you know how he returns. When you talk about the, the loss of uh, uh, Yanni Peretz in that. That's, I mean, that's a huge loss for most prog- programs. Are they promoting from within, or did they get a transfer in? Yeah, I think they, they, they got a few. They got a they got a transfer uh, in this year. Um, Vinny Duplessis from Boston University. Okay. who, you know he he's played minimally over the past uh, past few years, and they have a, a talented freshman as well um, who had very good numbers in junior hockey um, and. And Matej Marinov also played for the Slovakia uh, junior team last year. So, right. yeah, so um, yeah, so they have a few guys that they'll probably have a look at. He's a freshman, and you know, Duplessis is, you know, kind of the transfer grad program, which you know, Rand Pecknold has kind of based his program off in the last few years with the fifth-year transfer ins and everything like that. So, yeah, you know, that's where Pecknold kind of shines and has advantages over some of the Ivies and some of the uh, schools with higher academic standards. All right. Well, if uh, Quinnipiac is the uh, the favorite coming into the season, is there a big gap to the next club, or are there two or three teams who are going to push the Bobcats? No, I would think Cornell will still be there. Um, they have one of the best recruiting classes in the you know in the country this year. Um, you know, they have guys like Ben Robertson, George Fairgas, Stanley Hoyt, and they did lot lose a few. Um, players and Travis Mitchell, Ben Berard and Sam Malinsky. But, you know, it seems like they're, they're rebuilding, they're reloading. They also have a, have a goaltender that that's played a lot this year. Um, and yeah, they, 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 you know, they have, they have a, they have a goaltender that, you know, that has some experience there. So yeah, that, that's a big thing. Um, I think, I think if I look a bunch of uh, teams this year, they're struggling in that um, just, you know, just based on experience anyways. Mm-hmm. Um and you know Ian Shane did really well for them last year. He was he was pretty solid. He had a you know 1.72 GAA, uh, 0.916 you know save percentage. Uh, so he 
he's going to be a guy who was kind of rock solid. He played pretty well against BU in the regional final last year. So, you know, I assume Cornell will be there like they always are just because, you know, their system and, you know, they play that defensive uh, fast system that's, you know, very similar to what you'd see in, the, in an NHL barn. Um, yeah, so they'll always be there. Um, it does appear that, you know, Harvard might be a little down this year. Um, they did bring in three draft picks, but, you know, they lost over 60% of their of their scoring this year with Matt Coronado leaving and Sean Farrell leaving. Alex Laferriere, and you know that really the names are that they lost Henry Thrun on the defensive end. The names that they lost, you could write a book on on what they lost this year. Um, Farinacci too, right? Yeah, Farinacci too, and yeah, they they lost the book. They lost over seventy percent of their of their scoring this year. So it'll be interesting to see where um, Ted Donato goes. He did get three, you know, three draft picks in, and. You know, he still has five draft picks on his defensive side. It just yeah. looks like the the offense it may just be a different way of winning. Um, but what I do know, you know, when I, as I watched him last year a little bit, uh, quite often actually because I live in the area, they did struggle when those other guys weren't, you know, pr- producing. So it'll be interesting to see the direction that Harvard goes today, this year. Um, and, you know, you look at the other 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 teams like St. Lawrence that returned a ton. They didn't score a ton last year, but they have some very good names coming back. Um, you know, Clarkson's always a team that's the, that's that's up there, and I think they're going to take a step back, a step forward this year. Okay, they did finish sixth last year, a little down for them. Um, and yeah, so there's some other teams in there that could. I mean, a lot of the Ivy schools they're still recovering from, you know, the COVID pause from you know 2020 to the two year pause um, that they were under so a lot of those teams are starting to recover get their numbers back up get the depth back up so it should it should be interesting uh just to see you know where everything lies it doesn't look like you know it does look quinnipiac is high uh, you know up high above everybody else but you know the ecac always has some surprises too so i've been doing this long enough to know that you know teams teams kind of come out of nowhere sometimes I want to go back to uh, Clarkson for a minute. Uh, they they've yep. kind of made use of the transfer portal this year as well. I know. I think they lost Alex Campbell to uh, one of the clubs they in, in yeah. Hockey East. Uh, was it yeah. Northeastern? Something like that. that it was Northeastern. To? Yeah, they lost him to Northeastern. That was a big loss for him. For yeah. them. I mean, you know, he was he was one of their best scorers last year. Um, but yeah, Casey Jones, kind of like Rand Pecknold at Quinnipiac, does use the transfer portal. He got Cody Mons. The kid scored a couple of goals, I think against their, and their win against Notre Dame the other day, he came from Providence and, you know, they got, you know, some others like Jesse Tucker. They did get, um, you know, Austin wrote in a goalie from Providence, them, them as well. They're also, you know, mm-hmm. struggling in, in goal there. They, they don't have much experience, but Hey, a freshman came in, Emmett Corrado came in over the weekend and, you know, he, he played a couple games, I think. Um, let me just see. Was it? I'm just trying to take a look at the. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, huh? it was actually it was actually Austin Roden who who actually played. It was just, you know, the CHN app is great, but yeah, it looks like Austin Roden came in from Providence, and you know, he had pretty good games, shut out everything. Um, and yeah, they look like they should be a little better this year. I I think if you look back on last year, a lot of it was inconsistency. They did replace both there. Uh, assistant coaches last year. So that's always hard at the college level when you're working on development and, and all those things as well. 
Uh, I don't blame you for mentioning Emmett Croteau. He's uh, well, he's from yeah. our neck of the woods up here, but he's drafted by the yeah. Montreal Canadiens, so he's he's got yeah. that uh, NHL pedigree already. And Eric Ciccolonio, another guy that they brought in uh, via the the portal played at Michigan, probably got pushed out of the off the depth chart uh, over the last couple of years with the Wolverines, but uh, could uh, end his uh, NCAA career here in, in in getting a lot of ice time and higher responsibility. Uh, at uh, Clarkson than he did at Michigan. The guy I would really focus on, though, is, is Ayrton Martino. I th- I, from the outside looking in, this seems like a really good player uh, and one of those um, early, well, mid-ish round NHL draft picks because he's a bit undersized, right? What is he, 5'11", 180-ish pounds, something like that? Yeah, just a little bit undersized, but, you know, he's he's a good playmaker. I mean, he hasn't scored very many goals in his college career. I mean, he's only scored 16, but... He's put up, yeah, I think he was one of the top assist men in the country last year with 29 assists and uh, 22 in, in, his, in his freshman year. So he, he's a player that I know Casey Jones is looking at to make a big step, probably put some, put some goals in the net as well. But, you know, he's got those playmaking skills you'd like out of, out of a forward. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he's a, guy, he's, he's a guy that could definitely step it up for them. They, they have a few guys, I think, there. I mean, you brought up Eric Ciccolini. He like you say, he played on that really talented Michigan team, but you know, there's there's so much talent there. It's it's you know, it's hard to judge sometimes. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think for Clarkson, it will just be a matter of where they get um, the goaltending, and you know, they have other guys, they have a lot of experience too. So it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of it, you know, comes down to like I said, goaltending, and for them, I think getting some production from the defensive unit as well. I think that's where they struggled most last year, and a lot of consistency. I know one of the best stories uh, last year in college hockey, uh, is, and it happened in the ECAC, was uh, Don Vaughn, uh, the head coach at Colgate, yeah. finally winning a league championship after 30 years, and uh, he goes out on a high because he, he's retired now. Uh, and I know that franchise or that, that roster has uh, changed a lot. Some guys have transferred out. Alex Young, their top scorer, uh, now at mm-hmm. uh, Arizona State. But they still got uh, Carter Guylander in net, the uh, drafted uh, Canadian from up here as well, just outside of... Edmonton, seventh round pick of the Detroit Red Wings, and he's back as a senior, six foot five. Uh, I know uh, he got victimized a bit by UConn on the weekend, but he should be poised for a pretty big year. Yeah, I mean, I look at him. I, I think he's probably the best returning goalie in the ECAC. I mean, he he played really well, you know, bar the NCAA game um, last year for for the Raiders and Vaughn, but that was a great story. I'll never forget that one. I was up in Lake Placid last year, great venue for college hockey and to see him finally pull it out mm-hmm. of course at that time you don't think it's going to be the last the, the last time that you know he will but you know you kind of had it in the back of your your mind it might be um but it was a good story you went on off on a you went out on a high and um it was good to see him after almost three decades in the game uh you know finally get that uh that that elusive trophy that it, it always you know not not found its way to him um, but he's, you know, he's replaced by Mike Carter. He's, he's good. Um, you know, he's a great, great guy. Definitely funny guy. Kind of a little bit of an unexpected probably, um, just because he never had much, uh, head coaching experience has, you know, been bouncing around a little bit, was a little assistant coach at Colgate for a while, but you know, he, he's a great guy. He's, he's, he's funny. He was very energetic last week. So I, you know, I look forward to talking to him more because I think he has a pretty good roster left for him. I, I mean, they have pretty much everyone back on defense. Um, you know, I like Pearson Brandon. Um, 
I think he's he's a rock solid, probably old fashioned, stay at home kind of guy. And then you know you have a Nick Delpedio, Delpedio who scored a few goals this weekend um, on defense as well. Uh, he's kind of a little bit of a talent back there, you know, kind of adds a new dimension. But yeah, everything's going to go through Carter Guyland, a fantastic young goalie, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do this year. He's Joshua Sagan from College Hockey News, taking us through the ECAC conference, getting us set for this year in the NCAA. Uh, we haven't mentioned uh, Union, who goes from the Union Dutchman to the now the uh, very. It does not roll off the tongue to say the the Union Garnet Chargers. No, that that is. I'm going to be. That's a tongue twister for me. I'm going to have difficulty with for a long time. What are they like on the ice? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, they have some, they have some good young players there too. Um, they they just barely added some you know scholarships a few years ago. Um, you know they have they have some players that can put the puck in the net. I mean Kyle Chavad I thought was very good for them over the weekend. He had a you know uh, he was a pretty you know he played ten games last year. Another team that you know kind of uh, graduated a goalie and you know in the, in the process of replacing one. So yeah, that I mean that's going to be I think the biggest thing for a lot of these teams this year is that they're just you know they just got to you know find a goalie and find somebody to to mm-hmm. backbone the uh, the bat, backbone the net for them. So yeah, I mean this is also second year for their head coach Josh Howge. Um, so you know you would think they would they would improve a little bit as well um, just based on just based on that is you know they they their coach now has a little bit more experience. He also is a master recruiter. He was a big part of that yeah, Clarkson's great years. So, yeah, I would expect them to take a, uh, a, a step up as well. Now, we haven't talked uh, about many of the Ivies yet, like Brown and uh, Dartmouth and Princeton and Yale. Are they just, when you're thinking of the EAC, ECAC at right now in this point in time, are they at the bottom or are we just kind of overlooking them? No, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, I you know, a lot of them, like I said, they were very inexperienced over the last two years, mainly because they had the COVID pause, and yeah. a lot of their a lot of their you know recruiting classes you know tr- went to other schools. A lot of their um, you know a lot of their current players did as well. Um, so I, I think I mean I look at teams like Princeton. I look like I look at teams like Yale. I, I think they're on the ups. Um, I, you know, I would also look at Dartmouth. Um, you know, they're, you know, I picked them to finish 12th, but I think those teams are better this year. Um, mainly based on the fact that they, some of them have pretty good experience, and that's usually a good, a good place to start. Um, but yeah, I, I think time will tell. I mean, they're not able to partake in the uh, transfer portal, any of that. Right. So you know, they're unlike a Clarkson or a Quinnipiac or you know some of these other schools. They're not able to fill a hole with a senior uh, in the transfer portal or one of those fifth year guys, which we have probably I think another year uh, to talk about them. So you know, I, I think that those I think Princeton might be the best of the lot this year. I, I think they have some uh, some very good. Uh, pretty good talents there. Um, then they returned to everybody. Um, and they have, you know, goalie, they had Ethan Pearson and net, you know, they have, they have some, they, they only lost, Princeton only lost 30% of their scoring. They returned guys like Ian Murphy, Brennan Gorman, Jack Cronin, you know, guys that, that put pucks in the net last year. So I think that they may be the best of the lot, but again, it will be interesting to see, um, you know, if they can get back to where a lot of them traditionally were, which was, the, probably the middle to 
you know, high middle of the ECAC. Can you explain for uh, my audience, Josh, that might not be as in yeah. tune to it, uh, why they why the Ivy schools can't participate in the transfer portal? Is it for academic reasons or is it just a some sort of policy? No, it's it's an Ivy League policy. You have to finish your degree in four years. Um, you can only you only have four years of eligibility in sport. Okay, that's been the big problem. That's been the big deterrent. Um, so they and really in terms of the transfer portal, they really it's not really allowed for them to to grab a transfer. There are circumstances. Cornell has has gotten a couple, uh, or has gotten one or two, but it's usually when they're young, um, and they're just not able to partake just because of the high academic standards. I mean, there's other yeah. programs too that. Like St. Lawrence, they they don't really have a graduate program, so they really can't, you know, offer a kid an extra year. And uh, Colgate's pretty pretty much the same that they have high academic standards and they can't really uh, partake in it. So pretty much over half the conference can't uh, partake in a lot of that uh, transfer portal and transfers and you know fifth year uh, seniors like say a Clarkson or a Quinnipiac and the ECAC and others. Well, that feels like right now, and that might only be a snapshot in time uh, because we're still dealing with the fallout from all the COVID and the shutdown year. But is that? It feels like it, that's a huge disadvantage to the Ivies right now. I, th- I think it is. I mean, I think right now, in the point of time where we have, we still are dealing with the fifth year, the fifth year that was given to players because yeah. of uh, COVID and all that. So I think, I think once that. Uh, leaves. I think there will be a normal, a little bit of normalizing to go along with it. Uh, but obviously, the college hockey landscape has changed. I mean, I, I think Keith Elaine said it best. He's like, it's it's starting to get back to normal, but I don't think it will ever be normal again because of the transfer portal and all that. So you know, you know, obviously, you know, even Clarkson lost, you know, Alex Campbell in the transfer portal last year. So he's probably not a kid that in the past would have jumped because. You know, he would have had to sit out a year and all that. And so, yeah, it, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a disadvantage to them. But I think, again, we have to reassess it once the fifth year kind of drops away. I think we have another year of that. And after that next year, maybe it normalizes just a bit. Well, Josh, I feel like I'm ready for the season. Is there one other storyline or something we haven't touched on yet that you think fans should be uh, conscious of? I, I mean, not really. I mean, yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Obviously, the ECAC has a new commissioner as well. Um, and uh, Doug Christensen, who took over for Steve Hagwell, who was the you know commissioner for a long, long time in the ECAC, almost 20 years, 20, 20 plus years. So, yeah, that that's a big story. But other than that, there's really not. I mean, I'm interested to see, like I said, Harvard. I, I don't, I, you know, it looks like they're going to be a much different team. So it'll be interesting to see them. So there's really, yeah, that's pretty much it at the at this point. Excellent. Well, Josh, thank you very much for your time. I always appreciate when you you make yourself available to come on the program. Uh, and I hope uh, you don't mind if I call you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me on, and always appreciate helping our you know Canadian friends and <laughs> you know as a French Canadian myself. So you know, I didn't know that. Where are you from, Josh? Well, I mean, I'm from northern New Hampshire, but my family has very high, you know, they're, they're French-Canadian descent, so, you okay. know, second generation here. I, I speak French to my to my grandparents, and, you know, All right. it's, a, it's a French-Canadian life, you know, so I love helping uh, my friends up in Canada, and, you know, love it. Wasn't it Thanksgiving up there last week, too? It sure was, yeah, this past weekend. Yeah, well, happy Thanksgiving to your, to your followers as well. All right, well, it was a happy Monday for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot, all right? It was Joshua Sagan from College Hockey News to take us through the ECAC conference. We got one conference left to go, and that is Atlantic Hockey. And our guest to 
take us around the uh, Atlantic Hockey Conference. Is also a writer at College Hockey News. His name is Anthony Travaglia, and he is up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Pashnuk with a fake shot, and he goes the other way, spinning a couple more spins, two or three of them. Princeton Pashnuk. Pashnuk with a shot. He scores! Four down! Princeton Pashnuk! Are you serious? Hey, it's Princeton Pashnuk from the Arizona State Sun Devils, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Giant Turkey is a little over the line, my man. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, continuing our NCAA uh, conference previews. In fact, concluding our conference previews with this next segment. A reminder that uh, all our NCAA content on the Pipeline Show is brought to you by College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, you need to know what you can and can't do in order to maintain your NCAA eligibility. Get in contact with Mike Snee or the crew over at College Hockey, Inc., and they can answer any questions that you might have. In this last segment uh, for our college previews, uh, we're going to go back to a uh, guest from College Hockey News. And uh, this time, it's Anthony Travaglia who's going to take us through Atlantic Hockey. Uh, Anthony, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me back. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Excited for a, another start to a, a college hockey season once again. And I guess the more things change, the more they kind of stay the same. Uh, coming in number one on the preseason uh, poll are the RIT Tigers, who were uh, head and shoulders above the pack in the regular season, at least last year. And I know maybe that's fuel to their fire this season. Are the Tigers still the, the top team, in your opinion? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, their, their roster turnover from, from last year is, is very minimal. Uh, they they bring back a lot of uh, a lot of firepower. Uh, it's hard to find a, a com- more complete team in in the conference. Uh, starting in that, uh, Tommy Scarfoni's back. He was outstanding for them for them last year. Uh, their their blue line is is very strong both offensively and defensively. Uh, Aiden Hanson, Bucata, John uh, John Franco, Casaro, uh, two absolute stalwarts on, on the back end that uh, you know chip in offensively with with plenty of goals and, and assists. Uh, both five on five and on the power play, uh, and then up front, uh, Carter Wilkie, uh, Atlantic Player of the Year last year, um, seventy points in, in his first two uh, two years on campus. Uh, went from thirteen goals to, to fourteen last year, so uh, he should take another step forward um, this year. But yeah, there's 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 no more complete team in, in the conference. Okay, well, I, I'm I'm wondering why they fell short last year in the playoffs against Holy Cross and. Is it a case of overlooking your opponent? That happens quite often in sport. Or is that disrespectful for to Holy Cross and that they, they pulled the upset and de- deserve that win? How do you see that? Yeah, it, it was just a case of you know, Holy Cross being a, a Cinderella story. Hmm. Um, you know, you look at the, the three-game series, it's a one nothing overtime game. Uh, game one, it's a 4-3 to three overtime, you know, game two, and then... Um, you know, game three looks a little lopsided uh, on the score sheet, but it, it was it was a tight game going into the third period. So, um, you know, you, 
you, you win a game in overtime, you lose a game in, in, in overtime. Uh, it just came down to, um, you know, a couple of bounces going, going against them and uh, just RIT going up against a Holy Cross team that just had that magic. All right. Well, according to the coaches poll, Sacred Heart is the number two team coming in. Do you see, do you agree with that, uh, that standing? And how big of a gap is there between RIT to the next club? There's not much. Uh, Sacred Heart was kind of uh, neck and neck with, with RIT uh, for the most part last year. Um, Sacred Heart had a little bit of a, of a tough Feb- you know, February that separated um, themselves you know, from RIT, but uh, should be you know, more of the same. Um, you know, they, they did lose Neil, Sh- uh, Neil Shea. He had 14 goals for them last year, scored a lot of you know, big goals, but uh, their, their depth was their strength last year. And they got a lot of key contributions from uh, several freshmen and sophomores uh, who were all back this year. Uh, Marcus Joggin, he had eight goals. Uh, Daniel Ebram, uh, he had seven. And defenseman uh, Hunter Sandsbury, he had seven. So all three of those are back. Uh, young players last year that uh, you know played a lot of minutes uh, that should help carry the offense again this year. Okay, so that's uh, RIT one, Sacred Heart number two. Uh, according to the preseason poll, AIC, that would be American International College, is number three. Uh, what do you like about that club coming into the year? Uh, there's a lot to like uh, about AIC. And, uh, you know, it feels a little weird going in, into a, a season and not talking about uh, AIC being defending champions. Yeah. Uh, you know, prior to, to last year, they, they won four straight conference regular season titles, um, three postseason titles, and probably would have been four if, if you know, COVID didn't cancel that tournament. So, uh, you know, Coach Lang is an outstanding coach. As long as he's behind the, the bench, you, you can't bet against uh, AIC. Uh, they did lose Blake Bennett last year, and that, that's that's a tough loss. Uh, he he was a big time goal scorer for them. Scored a lot of uh, key goals, especially in, in the playoffs. He was he was very clutch uh, for them. But I really like uh, I really like their back end. Uh, they returned five of uh, of their starters uh, on defense, uh, including Evan Steller, and, and that's a guy that that plays a lot of big minutes for them. Uh, you know, their their defense is, is really engaged offensively. They pick up a lot of points. They move the puck you know well through them. So. Um, you know, expect that to, to be the same, uh, you know, this year. But yeah, the AIC will uh, will certainly be up there uh, with RIT and, and Sacred Heart. There's uh, there's plenty of, of talent coming back. Uh, they return about eight percent of uh, of its scoring, so um, should be more of the same. Well, the I in America in AIC stands for international, and they're certainly living up to that name. But they've got eleven guys from either Sweden or Finland on their roster. I'm guessing that's uh, probably by far the most. In the NCAA, I could be wrong on that, but that would surprise me. Uh, they really go out and try to beat the bushes to to find players any from anywhere. They absolutely do, and, and you know that was kind of a staple of the program, uh, you know, for for a lot of years. And um, you know, with with Atlantic hockey, you know, kind of being uh, you know not as uh, we'll say popular as some of you know the other conferences, they really have to dig deep, you know, across the globe to to find those players and. Uh, you know, Coach Lang has has hit hit on a lot of them, and uh, you know that's certainly been been a draw for a lot of these you know international players that uh, want to come to North America and, and you know continue to play um, play hockey and, and get that uh, great education. We mentioned Holy Cross a, a couple of minutes ago. They are now uh, ranked number four coming into the season. Uh, the Crusaders. Uh, this is a team that out from the outside looking in always seems to contend in the in the top end of the uh, the conference. But if they get off to a slow start, maybe they they drop a bit. How do you see them? They're a really fun team to watch, and, and I mean they they play so hard. They they play really hard hockey, and you, you could see last year's run coming. Right, you know we we talked about it earlier. Their their run to the um, 
to the conference final and they just they play really hard they they, they grind it out they play so tough defensively they make it hard for you uh, you know, for, for you to get to the dirty areas. And, uh, you know, that speaks uh, volumes about uh, Coach Bill Riga, who's entering his, his third year with the program uh, coming over from uh, Quinnipiac, where he had a lot of success. They had a program uh, as well. So, um, you know, a, a lot of things to, to like about that team. Uh, Jack Ricketts, Liam McGlinsky, two huge uh, offensive uh, presences for, for them. Uh, McGlinsky is actually a great story. Uh, Riga, uh, Coach Riga recruited him. Uh, well, he was still at Quinnipiac, uh, mm-hmm. played, played a year there. Uh, really didn't get the playing time, uh, you know, that he had hoped. Uh, I mean, they were very deep offensively. He was kind of very on a depth chart. Um, so when Riga got the job at, at Holy Cross, uh, he, uh, McLinsky transferred there, scores 21 goals last year. Nine of those coming in the playoffs. He scored some big, uh, big goals uh, in the playoffs. Um, I think it was a Red Wings development camp that he attended over the summer. So he was really be, you know, able to, to put himself uh, on the map and, uh, he should do some good things offensively for them this year. Anthony Trevelia from uh, College Hockey News, my guest here, to help uh, guide us through the Atlantic Hockey for this uh, final uh, conference preview here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, I believe that takes us to Canisius at, at number uh, five in the poll. Is this a team that can maybe challenge those top four clubs? They certainly can. And, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult this year. The, the turnover there is that uh, they lost a lot of key uh, uh, key pieces to that, uh, you know, great run they went on last year. Uh, none bigger than Jacob Barjowski and Nett, who uh, who transferred to Michigan. Uh, but they bring in David Fessenden, in a, a transfer from UNH, and uh, you know they expect big things out of, out of him and Nett. Uh, you know how much uh, he can replicate what uh, you know Barjowski did in Nett for them remains to be seen. Uh, offensively, uh, Keaton Mastrodonato, Ryan Miotto, uh, they're gone. Uh, those two combined for 71 points last year, so that's a lot of uh, you know offensive. Um, firepower out the door, but uh, Randy Hernandez returns, uh, Jackson Decker returns. You know, though those are two uh, two guys who can put the puck in the net. So um, you know, it can't count Canisius out. We we saw what they were able to do. Um, you know, last year, uh, Coach Lodge is an ex- uh, excellent coach. Uh, was just rewarded with uh, with an extension. So mm-hmm. um, you know, while they do have some impactful losses, uh, there's certainly enough there for uh, for them to get back to to where they were. You know, last year and maybe even take a step forward. All right. What about the uh, Purple Eagles from Niagara? Yeah, I, I really liked uh, what Niagara was able to do uh, last year. Uh, they had that outstanding uh, non-conference record, which, you know, the the big question in Atlantic hockey every year is, is you know, is this going to be the year that they send two teams to the NCAA tournament, right? You know, right. of course, they get their uh, automatic bid, and uh, a lot of that hinges on, you know, what the uh, conference can do um, with their non-conference slate and, uh, you know, Niagara was nearly perfect uh, out of conference, you know, last year. So um, that was a great sign for them. Um, you know, as for, for this year, uh, they returned four double-digit, you know, goal scorers. They have a lot of depth there. Um, and that, you know, that really uh, showed a lot last year. Uh, they did lose uh, goalie Chad Veltry to uh, Robert Morris, who uh, was great for them last year. Uh, he made some big saves. He went on some runs where he was just playing uh, outstanding uh, hockey. Uh, Ryan Cox, Casey Carew's graduated. Uh, those are two guys who uh, were very good offensively, scored a lot of goals for them. So uh, we'll see, uh, you know, what that translates to uh, on the ice. But uh, Niagara had, like I said, a, a lot of depth last year. A lot of those, um, you know, depth players are back. So uh, with, you know, with Casey and, and Ryan moving on, some uh, some of those younger players are going to be asked to step up and play some bigger roles. That takes us to uh, number seven and number eight. They'd be the two military schools, Army and Air Force. And I think 
historically, traditionally, Air Force is usually uh, ranked a lot higher than where they are this year. They're eighth coming in. How much of that? Well, maybe let's get to Air Force in a second. Uh, focus on Army first. But uh, what do you like about the the uh, uh, what are they? The Black Knights? Yeah, I, I really like Army. Uh, they they return their leading goal scorer in, uh, in Max uh, Itagaki. Uh, I'm sorry, the leading scorer, leading goal scorer uh, Joey Baez. He's back as well. Uh, and then Ricky Lyle returns. He scored 13 goals. So those are three guys that uh, that can put pucks in net and uh, score a lot of goals for them. Uh, Gavin A. Brick in, in net. Uh, he played much better last year than than his numbers will tell you. Uh, the biggest issue for for Army last year was uh, they played in 11 games, uh, 11 overtime games. They only won four of those, mm. and they still managed to finish as the, the fifth seed. So you know you win uh, one or two more of those, and and you're in the top four. You're hosting a home playoff series, and uh, you know that makes it all the difference. So uh, you know this year I think they're going to score some goals. Uh, so it just comes down to. Uh, you know, goaltending and, and what they can do defensively. Uh, they have a real tough schedule to, to start. Uh, they, they were shut up by Union this, uh, this past weekend and have a real tough uh, October. Um, they're going to uh, play in the icebreaker tournament coming up uh, where they, they, they go against North Dakota and Bemidji State, and then uh, they kick off conference play against AIC and Sacred Heart. So um, it's, it's a young Army team. Um, Coach Riley said it's probably the, the youngest team he's coached while at the Army. Uh, Army. Hmm. So uh, with that tough you know, slate to start, they, they don't really have much time to, to you know, figure it out, kind of throwing those uh, youngsters right into the fire. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so Air Force is next. And I was going to ask if, if I know they got into some hot water with the NCAA here, and has that affected their team on the ice this year? Or what are the, uh, the penalties that they'll face for whatever the rule it was that they broke? Yeah, yeah, they uh, they had some recruiting violations, and uh, I mean, so far on the ice, it doesn't really seem to to uh, impact them much. Uh, they they split their series with uh, Lindenwood over the weekend, uh, losing in, in overtime uh, on on Sunday. Uh, like Army, uh, you know, Air Force uh, as one of the two uh, service schools in, in college hockey, they're at a disadvantage. They don't get the the benefit of the transfer portal that everybody else does. So. Um, you know, when it comes to replacing seniors or, you know, rebuilding the program that they have to do it the old school way. It's, it's incoming freshmen and, uh, uh, that's tough to do. Um, you know, when, when you're not these, you know, big 10 schools or you're, um, you know, hockey East schools, it, it's tough to attract those impactful freshmen, uh, you know, coming in. So it, 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 it makes it tougher uh, for them to, to recruit. Um, but yeah, you know, going back to, to last year, uh, one of two teams that didn't make the Atlantic Hockey uh, playoffs, and they were streaky last year. They started the season off well, they ended the season well, uh, but a one eleven one and eleven run in the middle of the season uh, is kind of what uh, what did them in, uh, and, and then you know, leading to them missing out on the on the playoffs. Much to talk about when it comes to Mercyhurst, or is this a team? I mean, they're ranked uh, well down the standings here, ninth coming into the year in an eleven team conference. Are they? Is there anything to get really uh, focus in on or get excited about when it comes to Mercyhurst? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I, I really like uh, Owen Say's game in that uh, freshman last year. You know, another goalie where maybe his numbers didn't really tell the, the whole story. Uh, I, I thought he was a bright spot for them. Um, so you know, now as he transfers uh, into his uh, sophomore year, uh, I definitely expect more from him. Uh, Sidney Mickey, uh, Mickey Burns was excellent last year too. Uh, he had 11 goals. Definitely expect him to uh, to take a step forward. Uh, and, and they were another team that struggled in, in one goal games last year. Uh, four and ten in one goal games. Nine of those games, you know, went to overtime. So 
Uh, they, you know, they struggled to, to put the puck in, in, um, in that at times. And, you know, they've lost a lot of uh, offense over the, the last two years. Um, maybe none bigger than uh, Carson Breer, who uh, was dismissed from the, the program after his, uh, his incident, um, you know, over the summer where right. uh, he was caught on video uh, shoving an unoccupied wheelchair down, down a staircase. So, um, and then, you know, their leading scorer, Eric Esposito, graduated. So, uh, some big, uh, big offensive uh, weapons there have gone out the door, but uh, you know I, I think Mickey Burns can can make up for some of that, and uh, you know if, if like I said, if Owen Say can uh, improve on what was a, a good freshman year for him, uh, you know, and they can turn some of those one goal games uh, that that were losses into wins, uh, they could be competitive and uh, you know have a chance and finish in the middle of the pack there. Now, coming in at number 10 is Robert Morris, and where they're ranked is kind of only a small part of the story. It's just great to have Robert Morris and the, the Colonials back in the conference, isn't it? After, what, two, three years off, uh, to have them uh, RMU back is, is fantastic. It really is, and it, it's inspirational to see kind of, you know, what went into Robert Morris coming back, right? It, it just shows that when the, the hockey community can you know, put the, their heads together for, for a common goal, what can happen. And uh, just, you know, an outstanding effort to, to Derek Schooley and the program and, you know, everybody that, that helped, uh, you know, we're sitting here watching the, the Penguins kick off their season tonight. And, you know, they, they had a, a massive hand in um, getting Robert Morris back on the ice. So uh, just great to see them back. And, uh, you know, they had that uh, good weekend with, with Bowling Green where they traded, you know, three nothing shutouts, but, uh, that that three nothing loss was was a one goal game in the third period. So uh, you know it, it, an impressive uh, showing from them uh, this weekend. A young team. Um, they pretty much have mostly freshmen on, on the roster. Uh, three players remain from from when the program was cut. So mm-hmm. certainly going to be some uh, bumps in the road there, but uh, off to a, a good start. And uh, you know I know at the end of the day, you know wins are what's important, but it's just it's just good to see them back on the ice. I'll let you get back to the Penguins game in a second, but we got one more team to talk about, and that would be uh, Bentley, who they're ranked last coming into Atlantic Hockey's uh, preseason poll and almost knocked off, pulled off the upset almost against the team. A lot of people have ranked number one in the nation at Boston University this past weekend, losing 3-2 in overtime. Uh, they might not have a great season, but what a great start. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, for them to go toe-to-toe with, with BU, a, a team that was in the Frozen Four last year, a team like you just said, a lot of uh, a lot of people are projecting them to be back in the Frozen Four and, and even win the national championship. So, yeah, for them to go, uh, you know, toe to toe and and really, uh, it was a great effort by the uh, by them uh, under new coach uh, Andy Jones. And um, it's funny, is you know Jones spent eight seasons under Norm Bazin over in Lowell, and when you watch Lowell, it, it's just it's it's hard defensive hockey. They they grind it out, and that's exactly what Bentley uh, did this past weekend. There's it, it a spitting image of of what you know Lowell, uh, Lowell does uh, with the success that they've had there. So uh, a great start uh, for them. Uh, you know, I'm sure they wanted to win, but uh, they 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 ha- certainly have to be happy with the effort that they put forth against, like we said, a very, very good BU team. All right. Well, with a new head coach, probably has to take a year or two before he can really get the players that he wants to recruit into position. So expect a little bit of a growth period uh, for Bentley, but uh, uh, awfully, awfully uh, impressive start to the year uh, for Bentley. Uh, well, uh, Anthony, any other stories that we need to touch on before uh, before the puck drops here? 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, a lot of uh, change coming to uh, Atlantic Hockey. Uh, you know, the, the commissioner, uh, founder of the league, uh, Bob DiGorio, mm-hmm. uh, retired uh, over the summer. Uh, Michelle Morgan take, uh, taken over. Uh, she spent uh, uh, several years at uh, John Carroll as, as their athletic director, did a lot of good things for, for the program there. Uh, so she stepped in uh, for him. Uh, and, you know, she's uh, seems like she already has a, a good pulse on things. Um, you know, as the conference looks to move forward. Uh, the biggest question, you know, with, with the conference the last couple of years, and I mean, I guess college hockey as a whole, uh, it comes to, you know, expansion, uh, realignment, um, you know, their school, either independents uh, out there like Stonehill or, or Lindenwood, um, you know, that are, are looking to get in the conference, uh, you know, Atlantic hockey would be a good fit, you know, there. Um, and there's also programs like uh, like uh, Utica and uh, Assumption who are looking to go, you know, Division One. So, uh, you know, whether now with Robert Morris back too, you're looking at they have 11 teams. So, you know, do they add more teams to get back to an even number? So, uh, over the next couple of years, I think we're going to see the landscape of, of Atlantic hockey uh, change, uh, whether that is by uh, expansion or um, there's even talks of, you know, splitting into two divisions, essentially right. an East and a West. So um, definitely be interesting to see, you know, the, the changes that Morgan puts into place when it comes to, um, you know, expansion or bringing new teams in uh, to the conference, whether it's, you know, existing D1 programs or programs looking to make that jump to Division One. Yeah, you mentioned Utica and Assumption. I, I was listening to some talk of Navy maybe being close. I'm not sure where they're based and if that would geographically uh, fit with the rest of the conference, but sure, yeah. Lindenwood, Long Island, Stonehill. It seems like there's probably six or seven teams that could join a, an 11 team conference, but then you've got 18 teams and that idea of splitting it in half and creating basically two separate conferences seems like it would make some sense. It, it sure would. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm in the camp that you can't have enough division one programs. So right? let's, let's give as many of these student athletes an opportunity to, you know, showcase their talents and, and play for uh, play for a national championship. Uh, you know, I, I know uh, in talking with Commissioner, you know, Dee Glorio uh, last year towards the end of his tenure, uh, you know, he was talking to a lot of those schools about forming their own, you know, division. Right? You just mentioned there's there's mm-hmm. six seven teams that are knocking on the door to to get into a, a conference. So it seems like there's there's plenty of. Uh, possibilities out there it's just a matter of figuring out what the right fit's going to be anthony i really appreciate your time thanks for uh, taking some time away from uh, from the penguins game and whatever else you got going on but uh, i uh, look forward to having you on the program once again yeah thank you for having me it's great talking hockey it's great that uh, hockey's back and looking forward to another great season there's anthony trevalia from college hockey news And that wraps up our NCAA conference previews. Uh, Thanks to everybody over the last couple of weeks. That is uh, about three, four weeks now since we began it with Brad Schlossman, uh, who did the NCHC for us. But we're officially ready for the NCAA season, which actually kind of kicked off last weekend. But we do what we can on this one-man show. And what we can do is wrap up this week's episode with our next segment, which is all about this new initiative, uh, meant to help foster safe and healthy environment when it comes to hockey in North America. It's a partnership called the Respect Hockey Culture Center. It's operated by a third-party, independent third-party, Reese Community, and includes cooperation from all three leagues in the Canadian Hockey League, the ECHL, the American Hockey League, the Professional Women's Hockey League, and the USHL. Personally, I think something that's been long overdue is now in place. Going to be joined by... Stacy Meyer, 
who is the manager of education services for the Western Hockey League. I'm going to pick his brain about how this came to be. That and about the WHL scholarship package as well. We'll do that to wrap up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show next. Back to the blue line, Wilm in the middle, broken up by Zemer. Look out, Cohen Zemer, breakaway to hide to Zemer. Hat trick! Cohen Zemer, 3-1! This is Cohen Zemer with Prince George Cougars, and this is the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh, my. Final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it in three Edmonton and area locations, Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. Or if you're in Western Canada, you can have it sent right to your door. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, we're going to wrap up this week's episode with uh, well, it's an interesting conversation as uh, the there are a bunch of leagues in North America, junior and pro, who have all partnered up, which is rare in itself, uh, to put together this new program that will give access for players if they have some issues that they want to address with an independent council. Uh, they can do that. Uh, and to help uh, talk about the details of this from a Western Hockey League perspective, I'm pleased to be joined by Stacy Meyer, who is the Manager of Education Services for the Western Hockey League. Stacy, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Really good, Guy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you making time to uh, to join me to talk about this uh, endeavor. And, and maybe we'll start with sort of where it came about and if uh, maybe just uh, summarize it for the, the listener who might not be familiar with what we're talking about. Yeah, you bet. This is a, really a, a collaboration across the the sport, which is really exciting, um, it's it, you know an endeavor to to standardize how we you know how we not only support the young people that play the game, but also give them venues to to report to uh, get support and to access different things that maybe might be confusing in days gone by. A way to you know understand when things aren't going exactly how they feel they should be or they need to reach out to somebody there's a safe voice psychologically safe place to to do so and it only makes sense i think when when you're talking about sport any support sport not just hockey that uh that be somewhat standardized across the across the the game and so that's kind of what we're trying to uh, do here is to make it very, very easy for for young people and people playing the game of hockey to know where they can go for support, where they can go to report th- things that may not be may not be as they should, and and not make it confusing or cumbersome or or um, you know difficult to do so. The first thing that jumped out at me uh, when I saw this press release, it came to me from the Canadian Hockey League, but it's not just the, the OHL and the Q and the WHL. It includes the USHL, the American Hockey League, the East Coast Hockey League, and the new Professional Women's Hockey League. Th- that, to me, is unprecedented. I don't remember a time when 
the CHL and the USHL work together, let alone the American Hockey League and the ECHL and now the Women's uh, Professional Hockey League. I'm, I'm imagining it must have been very complicated to, to put all of this together. Was that the case or was this almost sort of plug and play because everybody recognizes how important this is? Yeah, that's, that, that's a great point. I, I, you know, I think it, we've really come to the understanding, you know, across, like you say, all, all aspects of a sport and all levels of a sport that this isn't, this isn't a competitive piece. This yeah. is a, a, about, you know, to know, to know better is to do better piece. And, and I think everyone involved in this understands that this only makes the game safer, the game better, whether you play, you know, in the OHL or you play in the AHL or, or the new professional women's hockey league, it really doesn't matter. The issues are very similar and, and the safety piece doesn't change. We, we all want to be the best that we can be when, when young people are playing the game and, and right through and, you know, until they're professional athletes playing the game. And, and so I, I honestly think the conversation was really easy. I, you know, I, I think a lot of the competitive pieces removed when you start talking about making things safe, respectful, inclusive. When you do that, you remove the competition and people just really want to be better together. And, and let's be honest, uh, by doing this and having everybody standing on the same end of the rope and pulling in the same direction, uh, overnight we're better. Now, in this press release, the the National Hockey League logo isn't there, but it, they are mentioned in the uh, the details of the piece. And really, the NHL is uh, involved heavily in this to at least get it up and running. Yeah, absolutely. The NHL has been instrumental in in, in guiding this and, and and making it you know become a possibility for all of us. Uh, Kevin Westgarth uh, has has you know he personally made a trip out out to watch. Uh, some of us, uh, some of our teams pilot our, our respect charter last season. About this time last year, we had a three-team charter uh, session in Alberta with three of our teams, just to pilot getting getting teams together and getting voice in the room around what you know what we stand for, what we want to be known for, and what we'll be accountable to. And, and mm. you know, Kevin made the trip out west to, to be a part of that to witness what we were doing and we had some great conversation at that point around you know this is again something something that should be done across the sport and all sport for that matter in terms of having you know player voice in the room and having management and coaching staff and training staff understanding and being a part of that as well where when you leave you you, you really have a a document and an understanding of what we want to be about and what we want to be known for and what we'll hold ourselves accountable for and what we'll hold each other accountable to versus, you know, that maybe that older mentality of a list of rules that you need to follow um, more of an accountability piece. What do we want to be known for? And if we do want to be known, uh, you know, in that space, in that way, how do we, how do we achieve that together? So this is a program, it's a platform for players, it's also for available for coaches or anybody that's employed around junior or, or these minor pro leagues as well uh, to report some sort of uh, un- uncomfortable situation, something that they feel needs to, to be addressed. Uh, now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of legitimate cases. There might also be some that aren't necessarily legitimate. How do those sort of get weeded out so that the, the, the real 
uh, meat of the situation gets addressed uh, the way it's supposed to be and, and doesn't get weighed down by some of these maybe false reports, for lack of a better term. Right. I think by having a third party being, you know, being the first contact in, in this really helps uh, serve that purpose. It it gives your really unbiased eye towards, you know, what what's being reported. It gives them the ability to kind of weed through some of the some of the, you know, important information or, or, you know, the topical to deep information that, you know, is important when you're when you're dealing with such things. And they have the ability to make some judgment calls and, and say, you know, this probably sounds maybe more like a, a uh, maybe a, a coaching issue, mm-hmm. a player, you know, maybe not happy with some role on team or something like that. And then they, they, you know, it's not that it will be disregarded. It would be handed to the appropriate people at each league level to deal with. But having that third party involved from the outset, I think, really helps us define that. We don't make that interpretation. Uh, we let a third party do that, and then they hand it over. And when it's, you know, when it's a legitimate um, a bullying, abuse, or harassment discrimination piece, then it's handled professionally by, by professionals that are trained and and you know, able to to move fairly quickly on these types of uh, reports. Yeah, I think in the, in the past, the the question was always, well, uh, let's. I'm just going to use a, a hazing incident as an example. Why didn't the player make it known, or why didn't they, they come forward in the past? And it was always because, well, they never felt that they were in a position where they could do that and not be ostracized by the team or whatever. And now that there's this uh, this avenue for somebody to do it confidentially. That's the important part of this is that they they have that that voice or they can go to this third party and express themselves. And I, I'm wondering what the, the initial response has been from uh, players or from the public or from media that now this is uh, is in place for people uh, to have that avenue to express some concerns like this. Right. Yeah. It's just starting the, the, uh, the respect hockey culture center is just getting up and running so that we probably wouldn't have any numbers there for you, Guy. but as a league, we've had uh, a similar reporting Avenue available to our players, to our coaches, staff. Um, we, we've had a res- what we call a, our respect line, which is the ability to literally pick up a phone and report anonymously or not. If you would like more details and follow up, right. Um, we have a player advisory council, but what as well, which is the ability for somebody to talk to somebody outside of that specific club um, and report and, and get advice and, and move forward as well. But what we're finding, you know, the real the real movement and the real success of what we're doing in this work will be the day when you know it's really no longer needed and let's be honest that'll probably never ever come it's a journey you know we we're human beings and mistakes will will happen but i think that the culture piece is is what is the powerful piece where you know young men and young women have the ability to know a that it's this is a safe place to play this is a safe place to be and it is a safe place also to speak up and you know the you if you use bullying and, and hazing as an example, the evolution of that from you know twenty years to today has changed significantly. And and I would say that the change has come about from education and awareness versus rules and you know and and, and fines, so to speak. Uh, there's just a real understanding that you know obviously everybody wants these these young players to play at their very best and that tie now to, you know, 
gone are the days where you just practice the power play and the penalty kill and, and, and you get the best performance. You know, we understand that connection now to mental health and, and optimal performance comes with the mind as well. So if the players aren't feeling safe or they aren't feeling respected, they're probably not going to be performing at their highest mm-hmm. level. So there's a real, real evolution of understanding that has removed some of these things that in the past probably held a lot of people back. And I wonder, you're, you're referencing a program that's already been in place for the Western Hockey League, and we already kind of seen something happen this year in the, in the WHL with Kevin Constantine. And I wonder if that's something that was reported into this uh, pre-established program that the dub already had in place. I mean, it, it, years past, maybe we don't see what's already happened here, but the WHL's taken steps already this year. Yeah, that's right. It, it gives them that platform to be able to talk about these things. We all know there's a stigma, you know, attached, you know, whether it's right or wrong, but in a, you know, an elite level sport, there's a bit of a stigma attached that if, you know, you speak up or you speak about things, um, you know, it might impact ice time or playing time or relationships beyond uh, the club level. And, and those are things that, you, again, we're hoping the culture can break down. But, uh, yeah, you by providing that platform for our players for the past few years, I think we've really kind of loosened that up in terms of letting them know that, you know, behaviors that, you know, aren't, aren't acceptable, aren't acceptable. And and they need to be talked about and they need to be addressed. And I believe as a league, we're doing a great job. I believe this Respect Hockey Culture Center is going to move the entire game forward in this space. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's progress. It's not perfection. Um, you know, we're learning every day of, of things that we can do better. And, I mean, I, I, I really admire this, like you say, this grouping of, of leagues and like-minded people to come together and say, listen, um, let's let's be the very best we can be, and the best we can be would be you know doing this together, so that uh, there there is a standard and an expectation, and then through that comes culture. All right, if if people who are listening to this have any questions, they can reach out. I guess through respecthockey.com uh, is uh, the website that I'm looking at right now. But if they have any questions, uh, where would they address those? Yeah, they. I mean, if they have questions specifically to the Respect Hockey Culture Center, that you that would be the best advice. If they'd like to chat a little bit about what we're doing uh, here with our Respect and Hockey program uh, in Western Canada and the Western Hockey League, and and to with our provincial associations, they can reach out to me if they like. Uh, Myers at whl.ca. All right. Before I let you go, Stacey, I want to ask you about the scholarship program because I think it's vastly underreported and and maybe underappreciated by the general public. I think the WHL, the CHL in general, does so well with uh, the scholarship program, and I think major junior hockey is built and, and designed for players to advance their hockey career, and, and and hopefully when they're done with the uh, CHL, they've got a pro contract. If they don't, they've got a great safety net uh, with the uh, CHL scholarship package. How many players right now, you know, I don't know if you know this just off your fingertips, but how many players right now are making use of their scholarship package from the WHL? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I should have that pulled up in front of me. Well, I apologize. I threw that at you out of surprise. Yeah, but... No, no, that's okay. I should have that number in my head uh, for sure. Well, we it, it varies from year to year, but we it's you know, our spend is over $3 million a year in scholarship across North America for for our alumni and you know, that number fluctuates up and down a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible program in terms of, uh, you know, most, most of the players that 
you know, play in the Western Hockey League, obviously have one goal in mind when they're 16 years old. And, and that's to play the game at the highest level for, for, you know, a profession and for a living. And, and we all know that. And, and, you know, and that's our goal for them as well. But through that journey, you know, obviously not 100% of players that play at that level make it um, to, to make hockey as a living. So the scholarship program is just an incredible, you know, I, I agree with you. I think sometimes we don't do a, a great job of celebrating that piece of it, um, you know, but uh, the to be able to work with these young men and their families as they, they make that journey, you know, and it's not always away from hockey either. It's it's the university, you know, you sport hockey to to continue to play at a very high level and then mm-hmm. and then have their entire education play, paid for is is quite quite incredible and, and uh, you know we're really proud of that program and, and the young men that uh, that access it each year well i i keep telling people uh, who question you know you go to the whl and sure you, you play u sport afterwards and it's the end of your career that's not the case at all you can play four or five years in the whl and then play another five years at u sport that's 10 years of developmental hockey and then sign a pro contract after that and meanwhile have that education paid for that's that's a huge bonus in my opinion yeah, absolutely. I mean, our our uh, CEO Greg Gardner at the league is is probably the the poster the poster player of that exact program. He played he was played five years in Prince George and wore the captain on his uniform. Played some pro hockey, came back to the University of Alberta, uh, and you know played four more years, won a couple championships, and and played on a line a line with uh, you know some NHL guys. So that were also on scholarship so yeah it, it is it's an incredible and and the journey of that has has moved forward as well like i mean it's you know for those kids that are a little bit late bloom bloomers in the game the the youth sport is is a is a an entrance uh you know i don't know that it was always seen that way years ago but it certainly is now it's come a long way and and they get to play uh, play the game and and go to school and have all their tuition and books uh, covered and, and come out with a degree and a profession that they're proud of and be debt-free. And it's such an underrated level of hockey. Holy cow, you sport, you go watch the Alberta Golden Bears, or if you're on the East Coast, you can go, go play and, or watch UNB, uh, the Varsity Reds play. I mean, this is high-caliber hockey, and I think pro teams are starting to scout those leagues a, a lot more as well. Has there been some change in the scholarship package? I know it used to be you get a free year of tuition and books for every year that you played in the Western Hockey League. Is there a little bit more of a upfront kind of guarantee? Is it has it changed now to like guaranteed two or three years? Yeah, it, it has evolved. Um, and there, I mean, each standard player agreement for each young man coming in uh, into the league can be a little bit different. So you know, often often a lot of those. Uh, young first round draft picks will have a year guaranteed before they even play a game. So that's part of that, uh, you know, that package of putting them into and getting them signed to their, to their drafted teams. But, you know, some of our, some of our 15 year olds already know that they have a year university paid for before they've even played an exhibition game um, in the league for sure. And, and uh, we see the growth of the five, four or five year guys that, you know, start as a, you know, a 16 year old and stay in our league and, and, you know, I was just talking to one of our, our alumni here uh, earlier this week that's finished their undergrad degree and, and is going to have their master's finished and, and all covered by their scholarship, their your player. And, and they're going to come out with their, their bachelor's degree and their master's degree all covered by their scholarship. So 
you know, it's, it's like you say, incredible program. And, and we have kids from all over North America. That's the other thing. It's, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's the focus is on, you know, the, it, you have to be going to the college or university in your hometown or near it. It's that's where the, your scholarship numbers are based on. But we have kids all over North America or alumni all over North America going to school. And I do have the number pulled up for you, Guy, 342. Uh, last year, we had 342 alumni accessing um, their scholarship, the WHL scholarship in the in the last uh, academic year. Fantastic. And, and to your point, you don't have to be going to, say, the University of Calgary or Nate or Sate or somewhere in Saskatchewan. You can be doing this. You can use your your WHL scholarship package in Washington State or in Minnesota, right? Wherever you live, you can use that money. That's it's yours. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like uh, it's interesting to watch some of our American alumni that uh, play up in, in, on a Canadian club that do stay. They end up staying um, and playing up here. But yeah, mm-hmm. they they can go back home and and for that matter, a Canadian. A Canadian alumni that wishes to go down to the U.S. could do it as well. You don't see it as often, uh, mostly, you know, but uh, you can. And we have everything from, you know, guys that are take going into, you know, law enforcement, the RCMP in, in Regina, to firefighting, to trades, uh, heavy equipment operators, right on up to, uh, you know, medical doctors and, and lawyers and, and everything in between. So it, 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 it adapts to them and what their, their ambitions are, um, you know, at that stage of their life. Fantastic. Stacy. it's an excellent program. I really appreciate you taking the time to explain uh, this uh, for our listeners. Uh, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Gee, thanks for having us on and, and thanks for all you do. I really appreciate it. Stacy Meyer from the Western Hockey League explaining uh, all about that new multi-league venture across North American hockey in junior and professional hockey. That's really intriguing and long overdue in my opinion. I hope that really helps uh, players and coaches and whoever else is in a tricky situation. They feel like they need some help, whether it's even if it's just maybe with their own mental health. Maybe it's nothing exactly happening, you know, no abuse or anything like that. They just need somebody to talk to. There's avenues for that, too. So I think that's a huge benefit and a huge step forward. Great to see. Also, a lot of information there about the WHL and CHL scholastic packages that I don't know how much, especially our friends south of the border, how much they realize there is in that educational package. A lot of times people think, oh, you're either going the junior route or the college route. Well, the junior route can be the college route as well. That's it for this week's episode of The Pipeline Show. Quick thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. You can get early access to every interview that you hear on a full episode, usually the same day, maybe the next day after those interviews take place. A couple of bucks a month American is what it costs, but if you just want to dip your toe in the water, why don't you try a seven-day free trial? You can do that at patreon.com slash show. I did mean to have a 2024 draft spotlight segment this week, but that player became unavailable unexpectedly. So hopefully that will be next week. I'm not going to jinx it by mentioning the player's name, but there might end up being a pair of those segments next week. We'll see how it goes. But of course, with everybody now underway, we got lots to talk about. And I hope you'll join me next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Until then, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya.